And Swanson scored off of sacrifice fly ball and make the score, final score, 3-5. Chat, yesterday I said that I was nervous. I was concerned. Um, wasn't hitting the panic button. It was just two games, Casey. Don't worry. This is one of those series that is clearly going to be a tie. They're going to get it done. That didn't happen. How are we feeling now? Where are we at? Luke Dreamweaver. Oh, no. Oh, no. Don't say the words, Casey. <sighs> he was doing great. He really was. Um, the one moment in this game that set the trajectory for the rest of this game was that one wild pitch. And I'm not a baseball expert, right? I'm not some, I'm not going to claim like I know the baseball game, <laughs> but let me tell you. Let that me was a great you, line, Casey. Let me tell you, <laughs> he couldn't trap that ball. He couldn't trap that. I mean, if he traps that ball, chat, I think the Reds win this game. I really do. The, the, it snowballs, right? You, it gets in your head. You start making mistakes. And that's exactly what happened, in my opinion. Now, I'm not racing the pitchforks to go after Mally. And I'm not going after Dreamweaver either. But it was clearly the turning point. Right. And that just led to the bullpen coming in and they played well, but again, that's another game in the books where they're coming in after the fourth inning or in the fourth inning. Like, what are we doing? We, we like at some point you just got to keep guys in there. And I think Weaver was at 70 something pitches. You got to at least let him try to go back out there. In my opinion, but again, not a baseball guy here, right? Um, now, it wasn't all doom and gloom, like I said. Uh, Ellie had that home run, didn't quite get what we wanted after that. Um, he did have one walk, so it was a little encouraging. Uh, CES and Will Benson had great at-bats, ste uh, steers home run. Uh, Sam Moles, he's been looking pretty good at relief. And, you know... I, I thought Duarte played really well. That was five strikeouts, I believe. Not bad. Um, but there's a trend, right? The trend is the Reds don't play well in the Central. Um, I believe they're 14 and 22 from ESPN standings. You're right. Said the Central was 14 and 22. I've, I've heard some other things like 6 and 14. Maybe that's the total for... No, for, no, no, no. You're, the you're, Cubs you're and right. The, and the Brewers or something like that. But they're half game back from the Brewers. And the Cubs are only two and a half games back from first place. And this officially, officially, in my opinion, starts the three-team race. And it's very clear to me that we as fans prematurely jumped the gun a hair. We were not locks for the playoffs. We weren't. We were not locks for this playoff run. And I'm not saying that this roster is not talented enough to win the division, to make a playoff run, but they're just not experienced enough. And it, it shows, right? 
when we get into a rut, the remaining talent on the roster, like the Weavers, like the Stevensons at catcher and Malley, like Stuart Fairchild, like Sinzel, they, they just pop more. They were being masked by the greatness of our rookies. And so I, I don't want to say that it's over. It's not, it's definitely not over, right? I think there's a legitimate chance that they can still win the division. But I feel like it got incredibly harder now that they have lost these games to the Cubs. It just, it's too tight of a race now. It's not, it's not something that is set in stone. And like I said before, the holes in the roster. <laughs> no, it's not you. It's the chat. The chat. I haven't even looked at the chat yet. I'm see, very nervous it's, to see it's tough. To, no, they're not talking about you. They're talking about Tom not being here. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, the holes in this roster, um, they're just too big. I think catcher, I don't think there's an answer at catcher right now. I don't think that the depth for platooning is good enough. I don't think that the starting pitching is solved yet. I think we're putting a lot of faith in Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo, and we have no idea where they're going to pick up from. Like we, we just don't know. We're expecting Hunter Green to come back just like he did the year before and play great. I don't think that's a guarantee. And I do think that the pieces that are coming up, like Marte, is great. Are we, I'm not sure about Connor Phillips. Is that a guy that we're super excited about? Yes. Yeah. I'm hoping that he does well too. Um, I just, I think it was always next year. It was always, it was. Oh never, no, you're giving up. You're throwing in the was, towel. No. I'm, you're throwing in the towel. I'm Casey, not, it's August 4th. I'm not throwing in the towel, but the, 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 the roster construction was always meant for 2024. And, oh, that's true. And, and that that notion was put to the side. Fans have already said it's playoffs or bust, and I'm ready to step back and say that that's not the case anymore. Oh, I man. don't. I don't think that's the case anymore. I am comfortable with saying that if they are competitive, at least compete for the national central division. Okay, that's all I'm asking for. I have tempered my expectations because I feel like if we now there's plenty of time for them to recover from this, but you could look at this, the start, the, the beginning of the end would be right after the trade deadline. That would be that would be your start of the end for this run, but it's not the end of the world because this team is super talented. I, I legitimately think that Tom has a point by saying <clears throat> that they have the second or third best roster in the national. I, I, I think that there is a legit chance that that happens in 2024. I think it was premature in 2023. Now, Paul. Yes. Despite all that. We were talking this morning, and they have an incredibly easy September. <laughs> I mean, incredibly easy. I mean, it, it is – I didn't even realize how incredibly easy it is. 
Um, so I want to, I want us to paint a picture, a pretty, pretty picture for the chat. Sure. Paul, I have some screenshots in You there. do, right here. We are going to go through each series, series yep. and I am going to give what I think the final of the series win-loss total is going to be. And then at the end, we're going to count it up, and um, you'll see where, where I stand on the rest of the season. Okay? Okay. Jump in if you disagree or agree. Okay. Nationals, I got them going two and one. Okay. Marlins, one and two. One and two against the Marlins. Mm -hmm. At home? At home. Yeah. Okay. All right. At home. I think this is still part of their rut. I'm, I'm expecting their rut to continue until September. So you think they split this homestand three and three? Correct. Is what you're saying. Yep. Okay. That'd be, that'd be, I will say, if they go anything less than four and two on this homestand, I will be disappointed. Okay. All right. But I, all right, keep rolling. All right. So then we go to the Pirates. And like I said, I've been noticing a trend. They're not playing well. In the NL Central, I got them going one and two against the Pirates. Now, that's very controversial. They stink. <laughs> They're one of the teams that stink. But I got this for right now. And don't, don't panic, chat. Don't panic. I got this as one and two. Okay. Guardians, I got them splitting. One and one. Blue Jays, one and two. I think they can win one. Then we go to the Angels, one and two again. Tough teams back-to-back. -back. Diamondbacks. If we go to the next slide. Whoop. It's okay. Right. There we go. The next slide. It's a four-game series. Well, the last game was at the bottom of that, that slide. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Um, I got them going two and two. Okay. And then the Giants. So it's a long road trip out okay. west. Yep. The Giants, one and two. So they're not doing well on the road trip. Okay. It's fine. And then this is the controversial one. And I know people are going to be very upset with me when I say this. But it'll it'll all be made up for in the end, okay? Okay. The Cubs series. One and three. Oh. I think the Cubs are very sneaky good. Oh, no. I think they I think they just had a I I'd hate saying that too. I hate saying that. But I think they proved a lot. I think they can explode at any moment. I think that the run differential conversation just proves that point. And I think that they just had a really rough stint early, very early in their season. And they've just been slowly climbing back up. And now that could be the mark of the beginning of the turnaround for me. If they do well that series, if they come back home after a, a large stint, out in the West, I think they I think they easily win this division if they can win two out of the four games against the Cubs at home. So let me let me explain why because then we go to Seattle or we don't go to Seattle we we play Seattle. Yeah, I got them winning two out of the one games. Cardinals sweep. Hell yeah. Fire me up. Sweep. There's a sweep. I was waiting for a sweep. We needed a sweep somewhere we here. A sweep I mean, some point, Casey, you got to win some games. Needed a sweep somewhere. All right. And and let me just say this. This is a big one for the fans, right? They're clamoring for a sweep. 
We need some wins. This is against a team that everyone hates. They get it done against the St. Louis Cardinals, and they start getting some momentum. The next three, the Detroit Tigers sweep. Yes. That's a 6-0 run. Let's go. The Mets, they stink now. Sweep. Let's go, baby. Nine-game win streak. And then from here, 2-1 and one against the Twins. All right. They've got a lot of momentum now on their side. Pirates, 2-1. and one. Guardians splitting that series again. And then the Cardinals, it, it's really a toss-up at that point because now we're in the north of the 80s at this point. So what does it matter? So they, they, they in my opinion, are still in a really good spot to get maybe even close to the 90s. Low okay. 90s. And I, I don't think that that's unrealistic. Okay. What, what are you? What are your thoughts? Well, Jack, I, I have I have I have some thoughts on the game last night. Um, so I'm I'll share a few thoughts on the game last night, and then I'll I'll go back to the schedule. Uh, first of all, the the panic button. If it's the deal or no deal thing, the panic button. The lid is open. I'm not shutting it. I'm not shutting it, but I'm also not hitting the button. I'm doing the thing where I look back to the crowd and I kind of look like, should I, you know, and Howie Mandel's standing there and he's like, do we need to go to commercial? And he's, and he's sitting there and he's kind of fired up and, and you're, you're going, do I want to press this button? I don't know. That's kind of where I am right now with the Reds because the last three nights have been demoralizing. And the, the, the problem is somebody pointed it out on Twitter last night. You get to the end of that game. And you look at these guys in the dugout, and they, they just look beaten down. They look demoralized. They look like they had a long, long three days. And not only that, not only did they have a long three days, they had a long road trip, right? This was Milwaukee, out west to L.A., back home. I'm not pressing the panic button yet because for some reason or another, I don't know why, the Reds have had such a trouble against the NL Central this year. They can't beat the Brewers. They can't beat the Cubs. For some reason, they can't beat the Pirates either. They're going to have to beat some of these teams. They're going to have to change that narrative down the stretch if they want to win the Central. They're going to have to change that narrative. They're at least going to have to split some of these series. They're going to have to take a couple of these series, two games at least, if not a sweep somewhere in there. You have to build some confidence against your division at some point. Lucky for the Reds, they don't play their division a whole lot in the month of August. In fact, all they do is have the Pirates uh, mixed in there. Other than that, they don't play anybody again until the Cubs there over Labor Day weekend. Um, it, it was frustrating last night because I didn't think Luke Weaver was terrible, and then he walks in two runs. I didn't think he was horrific, but he issues however many walks in a row, and, and the Reds go on, they lose the game, and it is what it is. Um, you get out of Chicago, survive in advance. Now the Reds got to come back home and you got to take advantage now because you're up against the wall. You had an opportunity to end the Cubs season. You had an opportunity to effectively end the Brewers season over the last three weeks and you didn't do that. So now it's a three-team race. None of us want to admit it, but it's a three-team race. For the longest time, we thought the Cubs were out of it, but the run differential champions are right there. They're in the race. It's the Reds. It's the Cubs. It's the uh, Brewers. I'm still going to say that I think the Reds can win this division. If you had me betting on it, I would probably take the Reds of those three teams to win the division. The problem is that the fans right now, the optics of what happened this week were not good. The Reds sat on their hands. 
The Cubs made some moves, and then they went out there and they scored 500 runs in three games. That's not good. That's not good. No, it's not, Paul. So let's go through this here. I'll say they went two out of three this weekend, two out of three against Miami. I'll, I'll say they go one and two in Pittsburgh. Uh, they'll sweep the Indians, one and two against Toronto, one and two against L.A. So now you're two and four on the road trip. You come back here, you're in Arizona. Did you say there was, there was one Arizona game, right, that got cut off? Yeah, So they'll, four. Sp- they'll split at Chase Field. They will go two and one. I see they've played well against some of these better National League teams that aren't in the Central, so they can take two out of three at Oracle Park against the Giants. Come back home, uh, they'll split the doubleheader on that Friday against the Cubs. Excuse me, I say they split the series. I say they they take two from the Cubs. They split the doubleheader and then take one of the weekend games. Two and one against the Mariners. I think by that point the Mariners will be so obsolete it won't matter. Uh, the Cardinals they stink. Where's Ronnie Smith in the chat? Take three from the Cardinals. Uh, at some point in here, you probably hit a lull. Maybe the Mets are, are, are doing something stupid. Uh, I say they go two and four in this stretch against the Mets and the Twins. How about three and uh, they only play two against the Guardians. What is this with these two-game series against the Guardians? Uh, I'll say they go... Uh, two and three in that stretch between Pittsburgh and Cleveland, and then take two out of three against St. Louis to end the season. Don't know what that win total is. Don't know if that's enough wins to get me there. That definitely would get you there. You're, you're looking at well in the 90s at that point. Um, I, think the, I think the only difference really is that uh, you think that they're going to get out of this rut. I just think that it's going to take a little longer. I think, I think they just need a little more time. Well, well, it, it, here's the thing, though, is that if they're going to get out of the rut, right now is the stretch to do it. Right now, it's all in front of you. Nats, Marlins, Pirates, you couldn't draw it up any better. Except maybe if you subbed the Marlins out for, oh, man, I don't know, throw, throw another series against the Nats in there. Play six straight against the Nats. Maybe mix the, maybe mix the Mariners in there. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't... I don't disagree with you, Paul. Um, if they if they want to, cl- I, I would say if they want to clinch, they need to prove the next three series that they can get it done. Um, the only difference that I think we had in those three game series is just one game against the Pirates. Um, I think you had uh, two and one, or maybe maybe it was the other way around with the Nationals. But regardless, yep, I think. Despite all that, and the point that we're trying to make is that there should not be any panic. Don't panic. Um, I am no longer feeling the way I did yesterday. Because it's just, the schedule just turns out to be so favorable for the Reds, in my opinion. Um, There's no reason to be... To be worried. I think I think they have the chance to still win the division. And I didn't even really look at the Cubs and the, the Brewers schedules, but I think that theirs is a bit tougher from what I've heard. Um, I believe the Brewers still got to play like the Dodgers. and Cubs play the, the Braves this weekend. Yeah. I mean, the, that there's a legitimate chance that we're sitting back up top by four or five games. Maybe even more. 
in the next three series. Yeah. And then all would be forgiven. Now, I've seen a lot of hate and a lot of, um, rightfully so, I guess, um, anger towards Dreamweaver. But I really do think your thoughts, Paul, on if they trap that, that he has a pretty decent game. If they, if they, that one pitch doesn't get away from him, what, what is the outcome of that game? Well, because that, that's an out. That's an out. If he traps the ball, that's thrown right to first base and yeah. that ends that inning. Well, so it, this goes back exactly to the point that I made the last couple of days about that play from game two of the series by Kevin Newman, that double play that ended up starting the five-run inning in the first for the Cubs. Yeah, the trajectory goes in a different way. I, I don't know if I'm going to say that the Reds win that game if he traps that ball. I don't know. Uh, it, tough to say that early on, but I, I it's frustrating. I think the Luke Weaver thing, I think it's done. Oh, no, I agree. I, I, think, I think the Luke Weaver thing is done. Um you know, the, the, it was fun for two months. I hate to say it because it's one of the best shticks that we do on this show. Um, I love it. I wish it would continue, but I think, I think it's over. Um, I am comfortable saying that if they made a change at that spot in the rotation now, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Who, who are we thinking? Is Connor Phillips going to be ready to like be called up anytime soon? Well, that's the question, right? That's the question is, at what point do they want to start his service time? When do they want to call him up? Do they feel like now is the point in the season that you want to make that move? Do you wait till September? I, I don't know. I don't know if they do that now with only, what, two spots in the rotation left before you have Hunter Green back, then potentially maybe a couple of more spots until uh, uh, Nick Lodolo could be back. I, I, I still don't think Nick Lodolo is going to come back and be a starter. I, I don't know if he comes back at all this season, to be quite I, honest. I, I, I don't know if he comes back at all. If he does, do they just ease him in out of the bullpen? Do they, do they throw him back in the rotation if he's full strength? I guess that might depend a little bit on where the Reds are at that point in the season as far as the standings are concerned. But I don't know if you go to Connor Phillips right now. Um, I know Ben Lively was hurt, so you, you are going to have a spot in the rotation that you need to name. Do you go to Phillips? I don't think they do. That's just my opinion. And how do we feel right now about Elliott Lead? I think those that those pretty much are the biggest questions from this game is do we still continue to put Elliott Lead off? I am a proponent of development, and that would mean that he would need to get as many at-bats as possible to work out these issues because – like I said before, my expectations have changed a bit. I don't think that's a shoe-in for the playoffs. I think at this point, they just need to try to get better. And by getting better, I think that they can still make it into the playoffs. But Elliott leadoff has not been good. <laughs> um, lots of strikeouts. Last night, I really thought that could maybe turn the corner from that conversation, but I feel like people are still not ready to, to just let it happen, let it progress. I say you let him stay there. What about you, Paul? At leadoff? Yeah. 
Because he can also he he also can be really good on base too. I mean, once he gets on base, you know he's gonna at least get really close to a steal. I mean, he he might he might turn a single into a double, and then he might turn a double into a, a home run. I mean, the dude is just electric. Um, if there was an argument to be made for him to go back to fourth or third. Um, I wouldn't be against it, but I feel like you just got to let him work out, man. Like I, I, I just, I, maybe it's just because I'm not a big, I, I've not studied the game of baseball as long as some other guys have. Haven't been in the lab. Have not been in the lab to know how long it takes to develop and to work on things. But it was kind of like the same argument we had with Stevenson, right? I thought that him getting more opportunities catching would eventually lead into him getting better defensively. That didn't happen. Is this going to be the same thing with Ellie? Is, is this just a waste of time right now? Is this something he's got to work on in the offseason? Look, I wouldn't put him in the I, – I would, I would move him back down to where he was. I wouldn't keep him in the leadoff spot. That's just me. I, I know yesterday he runs into a pitch on the first pitch of the game. I would move him out of the leadoff spot. He doesn't look comfortable. He doesn't look like his best self. you got to have him in the lineup. I'm sick and uh, yeah, I, I, I don't want to not see him in the lineup, but I would not put him in the leadoff spot right now. Maybe the analytics beg to differ. Uh, I as well, Casey, would probably need to get in the lab a little bit more on that one to, to justify my opinion. I would, I would not put him in the leadoff spot for much longer. Um, you know, it's kind of an if it ain't broke, don't fix it thing, although it's, it's broke right now. It's broke right now for Ellie, and he's got to figure something out. Last night, again, I know he hit a home run on the first pitch of the game. The, the flip side of the argument is you just want him on base as much as possible because when he's on base, he makes things happen. He disrupts the game. He's a game changer. He's a playmaker. He keeps the other team off balance. But if he can't get on base, that doesn't matter. If you're going up there and he's an automatic out in the leadoff spot, that doesn't matter. If he's chasing pitches, it doesn't matter. Now, if he goes back down into the four or five spot, is he still ch chasing those pitches? Probably. Where you're hitting in the lineup doesn't matter if you're swinging at a curveball down by your toes. That doesn't matter. Yeah, and I guess Reed, he brings up a good point. I know that chat probably won't like that, but if it only adds 10 at-bats in the lineup, or 10 at-bats in the entire season from where he started at leadoff, like, is that really a big difference? Probably not. Um, that's probably something that he probably needs to work on in the offseason at that point. But maybe it is time to move him. Um, if it only creates that many opportunities, extra opportunities, I think maybe it's just a, a – uh, just needs to change back to where he's more comfortable at, back at, back at fourth or third or wherever he wants to hit at. Um, Casey, any more thoughts on the Reds before we move on to, to some other stuff? We've spent a half hour on the Reds. Do you have any more thoughts? I, I'll be honest. I don't know how much more time I need to spend on the Reds getting their doors kicked in on uh, right. the, in the last three days on the north side. Right. I think, I think we're ready to move on to some Bengals I, training camp. I have one thing before the Bengals training camp. I have one, one note. Okay. I hope Everett and uh, I hope Everett and CJ are in the chat because I am speaking directly to them. I beat the golf leagues yesterday. Oh, you! Beat I them. beat the golf leagues yesterday—an unequivocal beatdown. 
a slaughter of the golf leagues, you could say. Got I did it. I got ahead of them. I played nine holes in an hour and 15 minutes. Nice. Some would say that that's too quick, but I'm one of those guys that if I'm up there, if I'm playing by myself, if I'm not there with friends, if I'm playing by myself and I just want to get out, enjoy a nice round on the course, and just it's quiet, I like getting out there and playing a quick nine. So I got out there late yesterday afternoon. I beat the leagues. And I only waited on the last hole. There were guys on, the, I think, fifth hole or sixth hole when I started. There was a foursome. And I caught up to them by the ninth hole. And I waited a couple minutes for them, but I beat the leagues. It was unbelievable. It's a feeling I don't know if I'll ever get back. I don't know if I'll ever be able to feel that level of fulfillment and satisfaction again. But I know that yesterday I achieved the American dream, which was beating the 4 p.m. golf leagues at Glenview Golf Course. I did it. And I loved it. It was joyous. In fact, it was so nice that on the fifth or sixth hole, if you've played Glenview, you know this hole. It's on the west course. There's a, a par four. It's kind of a dog leg left. And it, it's right after the par three uh, coming back over that little pond. I saw a golf cart down there, Casey. Mm -hmm. And I, I could see it. So I was on the tee box of the par three. And I could see on the next hole over, you kind of went, you go down a hill and you come back up to get back into the fairway and I could see there was a golf cart down at the bottom of the hill and I could see there were clubs on the back of the cart and I'm thinking to myself this is bizarre is somebody out somebody down there playing is somebody hitting out of the woods what's going on so I, I took a while I was hitting a couple of balls you know I, I was taking my time trying to get my money's worth I get over to that hole and the cart still hasn't moved and I'm panicking I'm thinking oh my god like is somebody Somebody passed out at the bottom of this hill. I'm going to have to call 911. There's nobody else on the course. Like, nobody's around. And I look over into the gully, and there's a, a guy. He's probably 60, 70 years old, and he's got a ball picker. And he's out there picking up lost balls. And I look over to him. I'm like, you all good? He was like, yeah, man, all good. Enjoying a nice day on the course by myself. I said, my man, how many balls have you found today? 211. 211 golf balls, that. Casey. Caleb 513 can't beat that. <laughs> Not even close. I mean, what a ball hawk. And you said this guy was 70 years old? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, he's, you know, gray hair. Seemed relatively able-bodied and fit, and he was just out there enjoying a nice day by himself. And, you know, thank God I didn't have to call 911, but 211 golf balls I said what do you do with them I said do you do you play like you just never buy golf balls he said yeah I uh I give some of them away and then he had some ringer from Knoxville says comes up and, and I guess buys them off him it's a it's a whole underground industry wow yeah it's crazy but 211 golf balls I was like hey look man I teed off 45 minutes ago there was nobody behind me for an hour you just enjoy your day I'm gonna go enjoy my day I had two birdies I don't I can't remember the last time I've shot I, I've had two birdies in a round. I, I, I doubled the first hole, tripled the second hole, was even on the last seven. It was an unbelievable day. So good that I might go and play again this afternoon. Why not? Keep the, keep the momentum going, Paul. I just had keep to get that in. Again. It's a cathartic release of beating those leagues because I know it'll never happen again. We'll never say never. Uh, never say never. All right, Casey, football talk. Sports. Football time. Football time. Hall of Fame game was yesterday. <laughs> and you know who started that game, Paul? Who? 
guy named Dewan Jones. I've got a, a highlight for everyone to watch. Yeah, you do. Go ahead. Wanted to get to Dewan Jones while he was still in the game, but you'll guy. see the quickness of the feet. Let's let it play one more time. As big as he I is. Mean, the ability to stay what a beast. Blocks, the ability he looks to protect great quarterback. Yes, they're there. chipping and helping a Fantastic. bit. Fantastic. Wanted to get to Dwan Jones I mean, while Paul. he was still in the game, but you'll He's see the stopping two of guys the there. Someone as big he gets as out he way is. out there. The ability to stay on those blocks, the ability to protect and his quarterback. Just, yes, they're chipping solid. and helping a I bit. I know this is only preseason, right? But man, I, I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you. He could be something else. He could be something special. But moving on, that marked the start of the NFL season. Thank God, because that is my time to shine. That is my sport that I love to death. It has treated me kindly over the years with guys like Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about, this Bengals training camp. And I have compiled all the big storylines and notes from all sorts of different reporters about each of the different position groups. And I just wanted to, in this segment, go over my thoughts on what's been talked about so far. And we're going to start with the biggest one. That's Joe Burrow. Um, he can't catch a break, man. He just can't. And I don't know why or like it just i gotta question god sometimes like why are you doing this to me why are you doing this to joe it's not fair but it doesn't really matter because joe's gonna be out there week one um a calf a level one calf strain or whatever it is it's a yeah. mild calf grade, strain. grade one grade one i ain't worried about it he's gonna be out there week one and he's gonna prove why um He's the leader of this team. And surprisingly enough, the quarterbacks in the quarterback battles have been really good. Um, Jake Browning, I think, is going to end up taking that spot. Um, he just is someone that, from what we heard yesterday, has the ability to become a coach if he wants to. He's got the mind for it. And I love guys like that. I love guys like that, especially if they're the ones backing up Burrow because they're the ones that are going to be holding the tape. They're going to be the ones that are pointing out what happened on the certain play if there was a mistake. So I like it. I like Jake Browning. Um, running backs. Reporters are saying that the Bengals have a new run game, a more downhill and power run game. Let me tell you, when we were having the debates about Joe Mixon, before the contract got restructured, before he took his pay cut, I was in the camp that we should not cut him, right? I thought that his production last year was... It, it wasn't fair to him because the left side of the football, of the, of the offensive line, couldn't get any push. Basically meaning he could only run to the right side. And he 
also, in total, the whole season, if you extrapolate his stats out, would have been exactly the same as he was the year prior. Exactly the same. I mean, I don't think he's missed a step. And even reports say that, you know, he didn't look good last year, but this year in training camp, he looks powerful. He looks good. And you got to give credit to this coaching staff and this organization for realizing the circumstances, for realizing that Joe Mixon, one, was hurt last year, two, was playing behind a bad scheme, and now that we have OBJ, Orlando Brown Jr., our offensive line is the biggest he's ever had. I mean, I am very excited for Joe Mixon this year. Very excited. I think he's going to have a career year. I really do. I think he can be exactly what we want him to be, which is a four, 500-yard pass catching back and a 1,200 rusher with 10 rushing touchdowns and three or four passing touchdowns. I think that's very doable for him still. I don't think he's lost a step. Roger, yeah, book it. Book it. I think Mixon is going to be fantastic. And largely because, like I said, OBJ. And we're going to talk more about the offensive line here in a second. But I want to talk next about the freaks. The aliens. T and Jamar. I mean, those two have taken have taken another step forward, <laughs> as crazy as that sounds. They have learned the playbook inside and out. They know how to play each position. They look really good, technically sound, and I don't see how, how this is fair for the NFL. I really don't. And what's crazy is I, I couldn't believe that they could get better, right? But all reports are telling us that Jamar Chase has really studied route running, improved his technician abilities, and he's got all-world-class athleticism, okay? The dude is a freak. It was terrible, terrible that the NFL, one, snubbed T. Higgins from the top 100 the way that they did, and two, Jamar Chase, way too low. Way too low. And I just wonder what it's going to take for the rest of the league to wake up. <laughs> this is the best receiving core in the NFL, hands down. And let me tell you, if the offense, if Brian Callahan and Zach Taylor do not target both these guys – at least 150 times this year, they would be making a mistake. They have two number ones. Last year, it felt like they were just trying to spread the ball out, trying to get Boyd to 1,000 yards. And it just, you don't need to do that. <laughs> you don't. If you just target those two guys, you're going to get just crazy production out of the two of them. And not to mention, 
if they do both get at least 150 targets, you're still leaving roughly around 300 for Mixon, Boyd, and Urban. And those are the only ones that you really need to throw to, in my opinion. Especially now that Charlie Jones got hurt, um, shoulder injury, which is very unfortunate. Um, I was going to ask you for your thoughts on that. I saw that yesterday. Hell of a catch that he made. Oh, yeah. I thought it was a great catch. I, uh, I am not in panic mode about that yet. I think it's unfortunate, but Yoshi Voss, I think, can, can... – Is that guy going to see one snap this year? Well, if Charlie Jones is out for an extended period of time. Charlie Jones wasn't going to see a lot of the field anyways. I mean, he, he might see 25 to 30 targets, I imagine. If the if the passing game is anything like it was last year, your dad is in the chat. Is he a big Charlie Jones fan? Yes, he is. Very big fan of Charlie Jones. I'm I'm upset about it, but I don't. I we don't know yet. We don't know how severe it is. So, at least I I didn't see it. I didn't look it up this morning. I should have looked it up this morning to see how he was doing. But I just know that's a shoulder injury. Um, hoping that it's not anything too serious. Maybe he comes back week one, week two, yep. fully healthy. That's what well, that's what we're hoping for. And that leads me to the tight ends. Earth Smith, man, um, he has the athleticism to be a top five tight end in this league. And he's playing in a scheme to do it, too. I think this is the best tight end athletically that we've had for a long time, going back past Uzama. Probably pro probably not as athletic or, or, or not uh, physically built like Eifert was, but probably more athletic than Eifert. Um, I'm very excited for Irv. I think he is a underrated target on this offense and I mean every day at camp it seems like he's just catching back shoulder throws toe touch grabs I mean I really think that this receiving core if you want to lump all the the weapons together running backs receivers tight ends is the best it's been it's been the best it's been um and I expect big things this year from, from this offense. I really am. I think altogether that they can put up probably close to six, 7,000 yards, maybe even eight. Mm. And then we got to talk about the O-line, which is the biggest addition to this Bengals offense. And OBJ, man, makes a big difference. He just does. I mean, he is the perfect left tackle for what we want to try to do. We have a quick pass game. He's so big that you can't just run right through him. He's big enough to maul people in the run game and give you a push. And I just think that the scheme altogether and the weapons that we have will make him better. They'll make him better. I mean, he w had to play in a scheme in Kansas City where the quarterback was back 13 yards 
before snapping the ball. I'm sorry. After snapping the ball, he was running back, and he was 13 yards behind the line of scrimmage. Joe is one, two, three steps, and then boom, he throws the ball. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL at getting rid of the football. Making a read, boom. And OBJ has not had a guy like that. He had to play with Lamar. He had to play with Patrick. And those two guys like to run around a lot and make things happen. And both those guys, I'm sorry, Lamar had a good running game. But when he was with the Baltimore Ravens, I thought he was a lot better, in my opinion. He needs balance to be good. And I think that this team has exactly what he needs. And Jonah Williams, been playing a lot at right tackle, seems to be the guy that's going to start at right tackle. I just really wonder what they, the plan is for Lyle, though. Um, you know, I wonder if they consider him the, the true starter. I want, I wondered. Um, I hope that's the case. I think Lyle, despite what the numbers suggest, last year I thought he was still trying to work out the injury to his back. He's had more time to rest now. He's going to have the time and opportunity to rest. I think he ends up taking the right tackle spot. And that might be a little controversial for some people, but bigger tackle, fits the scheme better. And my problem with Jonah is that he just, he's not good in the run game and he's like average pass blocker. He's just not, he's not a tackle. He's a guard and he's not strong enough to be a guard either. So it's like, what do we do with him? You know, we, we already got all this money invested in him. You have to at least get some playing time out of him, right? To get that investment. So, I don't know. That's going to be a, a big question going later on in the season. Where does Lyle's health take him? Does he end up taking the starting role? Is it Jonah's job for the future? Only time will tell. There's not enough right now to suggest otherwise. That leads me to the defense. D-line, looking great. Everyone's healthy. Hendrickson got an extension. We'll be here till 2025. Hubbard, 2025. B.J. Hill, looking good. D.J. Reader, looking good as well. Then the fifth guy, Joseph Osai, um, was a big reason as to why the Bengals faltered in the end, but I don't think we should blame them. Um, trying to make a play, and I know we talked about this when it happened, but I'm not blaming him. He was trying to make a play, and I think it has really motivated him. I think he's been doing very well on one-on-ones, has been going up against OBJ, has been going up against Jonah, and looked really solid. He's a great rotational piece. And then that leads me to our first round pick, Miles Murphy. Now, Miles, when he was drafted, I sat up in that chair over there 
and said that the best case scenario for him for this year, this year, was that he would be a cam sample type player where he could move from the end to the inside and play defensive tackle, play like 400 snaps, give those guys rest, rotate in where he needs to be, and provide some strength but speed at the same time that the other guys could. Um, and I think he's starting to do that. Um, initial reports were saying that he was on the second second team. Um, I think yesterday he played on the first first team, and he was doing that. Exactly what I just said. Going from outside to inside, giving guys rest and breaks. And, you know, I don't expect him to be some guy that is world-class sack leader. I don't expect him to be this stalwart defensive, like, run stopper. But I think he could be average to above average in both, which is what this Bengals team needs. They need depth at the most important position on the defense. And that brings me to the linebackers. Um, Jermaine Pratt still being here is huge. And he played great last year career year last year now there is a stat and there is a uh, a little bit of a fun fact that players play very well in contract years and then they tend to uh, regress quite a bit after they've signed a deal I'm hoping that's not the case for him um, having that level of production from him last year allowed us to have the two best tandem linebackers in the NFL, in my opinion. Um, Logan Wilson, he's in a contract year. He's in a prove-it year. And like I said, guys that play in a contract year tend to either play really well or they bust. I think that he's probably going to boom. He's got that level of talent, and uh, I think he's got that sort of drive in him to make a difference this year. And then we get to the DBs. I think that's the biggest defensive headline for the Bengals this year. And it's a position group that is seen as a weakness amongst national media everywhere. Bottom 20. And I think it actually might be a, a strength. The corners look really good. You got Wouzier coming off of injury. Everyone said that he's looked great. He's just taking it slow. CTB, Cam Taylor-Britt, played great down the stretch last year, going up against ones. I mean, he basically shut out Stephon Diggs. That's pretty good. <laughs> and then DJ Turner adds more speed and athleticism, and you see nothing but him just bodying guys in camp. And I know it's the second team. But that's what you got to do when you're a good player. You got to just dominate that that second level. What's crazy is that we have so much depth there that he might not even get starting time. He might not. Now, it just depends due to injuries and whatnot and if Awuzie wants to come back week one, but everyone expects him to play week one. So what are we, what are we talking about when that's a weakness? The corners are great. Mike Hilton and Jalen Davis are also playing great. 
They haven't slowed down yet. And then the safeties, right? To me, there was three things on this defense that made it really, really good. Okay? The first one was one player. Well, all, all three are players, but DJ Reader. He allows you to play light boxes. He stops you in the run game. And you have to plan to use more than one offensive lineman to take care of him in order to do anything in the run game. Okay? So that automatically makes it so that light box is advantageous. You can stop the pass game. The second part was Trey, Hendricks, Trey Hendrickson's ability to get enough pressure in the pass game. Without Trey's pressure in the pass game, the defense just does not work the way it's intended to be. You just look at the corners. All of them are very fast, play really well man-to-man. -man. Their goal is to stick with the receivers as long as possible so then Trey can then clean up afterwards. And then third, the third thing that made this defense really, really something special was Jesse Bates' ability to go sideline to sideline and have the ability to play single high coverage and still have a presence on deep balls. That is now gone. However, however, Dax Hill and Nick Scott are both very athletic, very fast. The whole defensive backs group, I think, runs at least a 4-3. Most of them do. And Dax Hill and Nick Scott provide versatility to play both positions at safety, creating a disguise in coverage that they didn't quite have last year. And that, to me, that advantageous disguise in the coverage, I think helps mask what you're going to be losing in Jesse Bates. And that's not to say that Dax Hill can't do what Jesse Bates did or Nick Scott, but it definitely helps. And I don't think it's as big of a deal that we're missing both Von Bell and Jesse Bates because now we just have position versatility all over the field. And that's what helps disguise and makes this defense really good. And so if we were going to also, if we're, we're still on the topic of safeties here, if we're going to rate what the most important position on defense is, it would go pass rush, corner, defensive interior, safety, linebacker. So you see where I'm going with this. The safety spot is not going to determine whether this team makes it to the Super Bowl, AFC Championship game, win the division. It's just not. It's not the most important position on defense. I would argue that if you were to make a graph, right, it would be exponentially pass rushers, corners, defensive tackles, and towards the bottom is your safeties and linebackers. Those guys, I hate to say it, are a bit of a dime a dozen. Now, a really good one 
allows you to do things on defense that you couldn't do before, like playing a lot of single high coverage, allowing you to put a guy, extra guy in the box if you want to. But they're not necessary. They're not necessary. And I think Lou Anarumo is smart enough to get this team where it needs to be. And, you know, all in all, this Bengals roster, in my opinion, is the best it's been in the Joe Burrow era. Paul, I just listed out all the different position groups. What are your thoughts on this Bengals roster? Casey, are you simply asking me, did the Bengals get better? I am. Did the Bengals get better? Are the Bengals better now than they were in January? Correct. When you list it all out like this, look, we've had this conversation so many times on here. I don't know if it's ever been explicitly laid out the way you just did it in the last 10 minutes. That was very well done, Casey. I, I, they obviously, they got better, I think. But, you know, in the last couple of weeks when, we, when we've sat around here and talked both on the air and off the air when we've gone to lunch and had discussions about the Bengals roster and whether they got better or not or how they got better, we were talking about it last week on Jacob's last day. We all went to Gina's and sat there at the table and argued about the Bengals and, and what their roster looks like in this coming year. And I tend to think that the way the Bengals are structured this year, especially on the defensive side of the ball, Right, because for as well as the offense has, has played in the last couple of years, and you have Joe Burrow, who's one of the best quarterbacks in the in the league, and you have um, one of the most talented receiving cores in the league, you get your running back uh, back. It's really the defensive side of the ball that has won the Bengals a lot of these crucial games. It, when when you really when push comes to shove. It's the defense that has stepped up and made the plays when they've needed to make the plays. I mean, think about last year. Bengals could have Bengals could have won that Chiefs game if Joe had put a drive together. The offense, I'm not going to say it's not clutch. The defense won that Ravens game. Bengals should not have beat the Ravens in the wild card game. Defense made a play. They made a stand. They won the game. Time and time again, it's been the defense that has been the calling card for the Bengals over the offense it's almost like it's almost like the offense gets them there and sets them up but then it's the defense that that puts them over the top which is counter to what I've believed for a long time in in sports just in general you know I'm, I'm a firm believer uh you know everybody always wants to say that defense wins your championships. I, I've never believed that to be true. I, I have always said that defense puts you in a position to win championships, but offense is what actually gets it done because you can't win anything if you're not scoring. But, you know, even if you look back to the Super Bowl run, how many times did we talk about Evan McPherson being as clutch as he was? The reason he was as clutch as he was and the reason he was as talked about as he was is because – the. Offense wasn't scoring touchdowns. They were leaving McPherson on the field to go out there and kick field goals instead of putting the ball in the end zone. So if you look at the roster this year, you you know you, you see it up here on the, on the screen. You talk about safeties, linebackers, the backs, all these guys. I do think they got better. I hope the defense is to a point now this year. Um, I hope they play as a cohesive unit 
as well as they have in the last couple of years? Because that's the question mark. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that they were a bit out of balance, right? It's kind of like what you said. They, the offense would get them there, but it was the defense's job to get them back home. That kind of went out of whack a little bit towards the end, towards the championship, where we really needed the defense to step up. Um, and not to mention uh, the, the special teams group also playing well, um, doing well in camp. Um, Drew Christman, I don't know what exactly happened with him, but I don't expect – um, I expect him to make a full recovery. I think he might already have a full recovery. Not quite sure, but anyways, Paul. Paul. Yes. Uh, let me tell you what the most important thing for the Bengals this season is. I'm listening. You you have my undivided attention, Casey. Tell me what it is. They have to start fast. They have to go, not. 0-1 or 0-2. They got to start 1-0. They got to beat the Browns. They got to beat the Ravens. You see, last year was a bit of an outlier for teams, right? Well, mainly just the Bengals. Teams that start 0-1 have a 25% chance to reach the playoffs. 0-2 is a 12% chance to ever reach the playoffs. They can't afford to do that again. Especially this back-to-back -back game, or these back-to-back -back games in Week 1 and 2, against the Browns and the Ravens. It is so important that they do not drop those games in the division because I don't think that 3-3 three and three, like they did last year is going to cut it. I don't think winning three games in the division is going to cut it. And it all starts with Week 1 against the Browns. So I'm going to do a quick rundown of the Browns. All stick, all sticks aside, Browns got better on defense. It's not just Miles Garrett anymore. They have a legit defensive line. And, you know, the Browns personnel matches up really well against our defensive line. They seem to usually negate DJ Reader's effectiveness, and they're able to run the ball. Now, I don't have any faith in Deshaun Watson, and I do Certainly don't have any faith in this Browns team to win the division. But I don't want them playing spoiler in week one. I cannot stand the fact that we lost week one against the Steelers when we had them dead to rights. We made a simple mistake and lost. That can't happen again. It just can't. They got to start strong and they got to start fast. And that brings me to the Ravens, right? Week two. Their new offensive scheme troubles me. I think we knew what to expect with Greg Roman. You know, we knew what the Ravens' offense was going to be. It was very simple. You just keyed in on Mark Andrews, and you, you shadowed, you spied Lamar, and you just cover the short stuff and hope he doesn't burn you over the top because he naturally wasn't very good until recently at throwing deep balls. But now, now they have an offense that we're not familiar with, an offense that is more balanced, has a more advanced passing attack, bootlegs, and designs to where it will really 
go together well with Lamar's strengths and weaknesses. And the fact that Lamar has only gotten better at throwing the ball year after year, which I did not see coming, um, troubles me. Now, I don't think their defense is as good as it was last year. But it's not that much worse. And, you know, I think despite all that, those two teams are not the teams I'm worried about. Uh-oh. Who is it? The Steelers are the team that poses the biggest threat to the Bengals in the AFC North this year. They have, right now, the best put-together roster outside of the quarterback. And now, all throughout training camp, there have been reports that he's looking good. He's looking healthy. He's looking strong. Throwing the ball well. But that's not even what really concerns me. What concerns me is the offensive line that they have with the potential of the running attack that they're going to have. I mean, they got Broderick Jones, and they got, I believe his name is Isaac Sulemelo, a guard, okay. to really solidify that part of the offensive line. Both really good at running the ball, or run blocking. And not to mention, they also added Darnell Washington, just oh, yeah. a beast of a tight end. I mean, the dude could be mistaken for a tackle. He's that strong. And they already had a really... <laughs> I'm just worried, all right? I'm worried about them being able to run the ball more effectively, be more balanced than they were last year, which allows a lot of the pressure to come off of Pickett for him to not do as much which is the whole goal in my opinion for them. We don't we would rather Pickett try to take over a game and beat him that way than Pickett to only have to throw 20 times a game. Not to mention that the defense is completely healthy. TJ Watt in and out of the lineup is a huge difference. It's like when he's in the lineup they are well above 500, well above 500, probably in like the 650, 700 range. When he's out of the lineup, they stink. And I think that makes a big difference. And I know I sat here and talked a lot about the improvement to our offensive line, but TJ Watt plays all over the place. He's going to pick on Jonah Williams again and again. I'm not looking forward to that. And not to mention, Paul, the Steelers have been above 500 for 18 plus seasons. 18. That's incredible. That's, they just win. They just win. And they just stick around. And that worries me. Um, I don't think that they're going to be some all-time world beaters, but... I think they pose the biggest threat because they were so one dimensional last year and they're not going to, they, they, they don't have to uh, rely on that anymore. I think they're going to be able to run the ball. And I think 
I think they're underrated. I really do. And maybe that's just the stigma I have against the Steelers always being good. But I think it's justified. I think it's justified. I think they're the biggest threat to the division. Paul, what do you think? I, I don't know if the Steelers are the biggest threat to the division. Right now, I'd probably still say the Ravens are the biggest threat. I'm not going to give any credence or credit to the to this Cleveland Browns. I, I'm just not. Uh, you make a good argument for the Steelers because it, it feels like the the Bengals and the Steelers, they'll, they'll split. You know, it's really hard for the Bengals to, to beat the Steelers twice in a season. I don't know why that is. Uh, it's frustrating. Also, I saw somebody in the chat talking about my microphone levels. I think I turned it down. I'm, I'm sitting behind a new microphone today. So, yeah, it's probably a little louder than it should be. Uh, but I think I turned it down. It should be all right. Uh, yeah, I, I don't understand why the Bengals always have as many struggles as they do against the Steelers. But I think the problem is, like you pointed out, Casey, the Steelers, just they're consistent. They win a lot. Maybe they're not Super Bowl contenders every year, but they're not terrible. I hate to use this comparison, but it's almost like the Steelers are the Cardinals of the NFL. Maybe that, maybe that would be a better comparison to the to the Ravens. But the Steelers just—they're always there. They usually are decent. Maybe they're not contending for a World Series. I mean, obviously, you know what I'm talking about—the Super Bowl. I, I'm using the Cardinals comparison. Yeah. But they are—they're there. They hang around. I, I still think, though, that the Ravens this season are a, a better version of that. I think they are going to be a bigger threat to the Bengals than the Steelers are. Uh, obviously, the health of Joe Burrow is a big question mark here, whether he's going to come back and be able to play full health week one. I sincerely believe he will be. Um, you know, list, Just listening more and more to people talking as far as the beat writers go and the podcasts and everything else, I think Joe Burrow will be fine and ready. I guess maybe a little question mark for Joe Burrow is how ready he will be um, to play in a game as far as preparation goes. Is this something where he gets cleared to play a few games or a few days before the first game? Is this something where he just gets withheld from the preseason and he plays or, or he goes through everything the first couple of weeks uh, leading up to the season? I, I don't know. Time will tell on that one. But to answer your question, I'm going to say that the Ravens are a bigger threat, but you make a pretty compelling argument there for the Steelers. Paul? Yeah. I think it's time. Oh, yeah, baby. Come on, Casey. So we got we got this left, and we got some college football realignment talk left. Uh, what else? Give, give the people some thoughts uh, on what we got here to uh, it, uh, in, the, in the back half of the show. Yeah, so we are going to be – one, we're going to have the stink list coming up here. And we are also going to be talking a lot about some college football to end the show. I have some dark horse college football playoff teams. I have oh. I have a team that I just really, really like this year, if they can get it done. Um, I have some dark horse Heisman players. Um, really excited to talk about that. And... Uh, we're going to talk a lot about um, the conference realignment because I think it's just – it's very – it's the biggest realignment since I can remember, in my opinion. Um, Pac-12 is probably going to not exist or not to the capacity it is right now. Um, I think it's a really big deal that 
Um, Colorado is joining the Big 12 when UC could have easily had Deion Sanders if they wanted to. Um, that's going to be something to keep an eye on. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think the, 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 the college landscape is going to change quite a bit this year. I think it's, I think it's starting to, to, to shift into a more balanced season. I don't think we're going to see a lot of big dogs. Like obviously Georgia will still probably be number one, but I think it's really a toss-up. If you get down the nitty-gritty with Michigan and Ohio State, I think Alabama could come back, but they've got a lot of tough games. Um, Texas, we say that every year, but they ain't back, Casey. Let me tell you but, what. This year, they they would like you to think that they are, but <laughs> I don't know, man. Quinn Ewers looked great, and even if he goes down, I have all the faith in the world in Archie. Archie Manning, I think, could just you know take over his rookie season and just shine and not to mention you know there's like florida state lsu these teams that you know they've got some coaches there that can really turn the program around um you know uh, or not really turn the program around but just make it make it make a good push especially in the sec and the ac aac um but before we do that, yes, we have not done our sponsors. Oh, yeah, we haven't. Here, hold on. Hold on. Let me find it. This is real time. This is Paul going through uh, going through here. Where is the Ham and Eggers? The Ham and Eggers. There they are. Right here. Run it. It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me. I would know. I introduce all the best segments. All right. This show is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. That was not meant to be you, Casey. That was just meant to be whoever sitting in the chat. That sounded a lot like me. Pawnee Water. <laughs> uh, Pawnee Water, they are a great sponsor of us here on this show. Pawnee Water, P-A-H-H-N-I, water.com. It is a, uh, it's, our it's our favorite water. It's made right across the street here in Hamilton, Ohio. It uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. And the result is the best tasting water in the world. You can visit their website. Again, pawneewater.com, P-A-H-H-N-I, water.com, P-A-H-H-N-I, water.com to see where you can find it. You can order it online. You can find, uh, I, I think they have a map there of, of the stores around here that have Pawnee water. Go buy some Pawnee water. Um, let's see. Also, uh, drink Pawnee water, get your coffee from UDF, bet with Betfred, and get your technology solutions from Encore. All right. We have all that done. And Casey, I think you have something for us here. Yeah, we're going to finish off the NFL discussion with the stink list. And we've got a little uh, a little video segment. I forgot to add some music to it, but the stink list. This is good, Casey. This is good. It's a dump. It's a dump. Um, this is I'm, good. I, I can't wait for the music. Yeah, I, here I, it is. I think uh, this is my best one yet. In all honesty, I think that this one is not all that controversial. What I I think 
after hearing Joe Burrow's thoughts on Patrick Mahomes, him being number one quarterback, of course, I couldn't justify the Bengals being the best roster in the NFL. But I do think they are the second best. And I can't believe that it only really takes one one player to make that sort of change in my mind, but it does. I think the Eagles lost a bit on defense, and they just – we got to see them do it again, right? We got to see them do it again. Um, 49ers, they have the best defense of all football. I think their defensive line is underrated, and it's it's one of the best in, in the league, and it's still underrated. Um, Buffalo, I like Buffalo. I like Von Miller. Um, I put them at five. Uh, Micah Parsons and the Cowboys, they just got a complete roster. They just tend to stub their foot along the way. I put them at six. Lamar and the Ravens, I think they got a little worse on, on defense, but this is more of a uh, preparation to see where they end up on offense because I think if they are anything north of what they were last year, I think they go up a couple spots, Paul. I think they're that good. Um, so you think the Cowboys are better than the Ravens? As it stands currently right now, yes, because the Cowboys are balanced on both sides of the football. They have playmakers on defense that just change the game. Micah Parsons can take over a game by himself. The Ravens don't really have that. They do have Lamar that will take over a game. But I think that what's more valuable on offense is being diverse, being able to do both things. And I haven't seen it quite yet from the Ravens yet. You know, okay. I, haven't, I haven't seen them in this new scheme, so it's hard to really put them higher. But didn't you just say that the Steelers were the bigger threat to the Bengals and you have the Ravens four spots better than the Steelers? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this is based This is based on roster. Ro- roster construction. Okay. I think the Bengals match up way better against the Ravens. Okay. Um, but I don't know. I don't know about the Steelers. That's, that's a tough one for me. All right. Um, so if we bring back in that graphic... Uh, Seattle, I think they might be. I think they might be a top five offense. Um, they were already really good last year on offense. They only add to that, and they add a dynamic piece in Charbonnet. They add a dynamic piece in Jackson Smith and Jigba, and you know how I feel about Geno Smith. I think he. I think he could be a top ten quarterback in this league. And he doesn't need to actually work all that hard because they've got some some run game. Um, now, both of the running backs got hurt. They never end up staying healthy in Seattle for whatever reason that is. But I think they got enough there to, to uh, get them over the edge. And I got the Lions. That was my dark horse pick last year. Um, I think I was justified towards the end. They were one game away from making the playoffs. They just couldn't quite get it done. I think they've done a lot to add and reconstruct the defense, and they added just enough on offense to push them over the edge. I think Jared Goff is underrated. I like the Lions a lot. Then we got Justin Herbert and the and the Chargers. Um, it's really hard to put the Chargers where they're at. I don't, I don't know how to feel about them because I think they stink. I really do. But they're good. It's weird. They always just manage to fumble the bag. 
they always just manage to just stub their toe some way or another. And that, that one was a tough one for me. Then the Steelers, um, I think they're honestly they're, – they are truly, Paul, yep. a team that is a quarterback away from being one of the best rosters in the NFL. They really are. Okay. And I hate saying that because I hate the Steelers, but it's just a fact. Their defensive – everyone on their defense is really good right now. Really good. I would even include their corners. And and I know that Patrick Peterson got burnt by Jamar Chase 2021. We all remember that, that touchdown um, against the Vikings. And Joey Porter Jr. was torched by Charlie Jones. But I think that over time, we're going to see that it doesn't matter because that defensive front, it's just too good. They get to the quarterback way too fast. Those two are going to have a great time. They're both really good man coverage corners. I, I just like the Steelers' defense, and I think they've improved enough on offense to uh, – on the offensive line especially that uh, I think they're they're uh, underrated. The Steelers are underrated this year. I'm, I'm comfortable with saying that, and I think they're the, the biggest threat to the Bengals because of that balance. Then I got the Jags. I did have the Jags lower um, – or I had them. I had them. Uh, yeah, I had them lower. Um, I mean, they're pretty good. They, they, they're good. I think that they're still a few pieces away from being championship level. Um, I really like Trevor Lawrence. Um, I really like Calvin Ridley. I like what they've done on offense. I've got plenty of weapons. I like Etienne. I think their offense is good. It's still a question mark about the defense, though. I'm not. It just it doesn't move the needle for me. And it's the same, really, for the, the Dolphins. However, I had them higher, but with Jalen Ramsey being hurt, I had to put him down. I had, I had to push him down a little bit because you start the opening of the season, he's out for at least, I think, six weeks, eight weeks. So he's not going to be there for the first four or five games. I don't know, man. I... Um, I think that that hurts the Dolphins just a little bit. Just a little bit. Not okay. not to the point where they stink, but it, it does hurt them a bit. And then we got the Vikings. Um, they have Kirk Cousins. And anytime they play at 1 p.m., you know that they're going to just dominate. But when it matters most in prime time, and I know everyone that watched quarterback is going to say, well, I don't know about that. He's got the stats to prove it. Well, there's a little bit more than stats that would suggest that he um, is not clutch. It only takes one play to ruin a game. It only takes one. It could be an incomplete pass. It could be an interception. It could be a sack taken. It could be any of those things. And I just, from what I've seen over the years with Kirk Cousins, there's only really one game that stands out to me where he really was clutch in a playoff moment, in a primetime moment against the Saints. And that was a, a time period where the Saints just could not catch a break. Could not catch a break. So I just, uh, I don't know. I would put them in odorless because of how well they did last year, but they lost a lot of pieces on defense, and their defense stinks already. So got to keep them in the stink. The Jets. Um, until I see Aaron Rodgers play, I can't move them past, past where they're at. And let's be clear here in this list. They are what I think 
16th around there. They're like right in the middle of the league. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I'm not going to overreact like I did with the Broncos. I'm not doing it. I ain't going to do it. I know that Rodgers had a tough time in, in, in Green Bay last year with the receiving core that he had. But that receiving core is basically the same with the Jets. It really is, in my opinion. Christian Watson and and Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson's the better player, but the rest of that squad with Romeo Dobbs and Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb, I think are very comparable to the rest of the Jets' receiving core, in my opinion. Now, I know that's probably not going to be a popular opinion, but it also you also got to take into consideration the offensive line um, was injured a lot last year. They have a lot to prove this year, and they're trotting out there Dwayne Brown, who's like 39 years old at left tackle or right tackle. I can't quite remember what it is. And then Mekhi Becton, who's been pretty much a bust since he's come to the Jets. So that's your two offensive tackles, starting offensive tackles that have injury problems, age issues, and have been very ineffective. Now the interior of the offensive line looks great. So maybe there's some hope. And I did some deep research into this before I wanted to talk about it because I wanted to make sure that the offensive line was a problem. I don't think it's as big of an issue as I made it out to be when we had our arguments in here in the office, but I do think it is something that needs to be monitored, especially within that division. I mean, they got Matthew Judon, they got Chubb, they've got um, Von Miller, I don't like Aaron Rodgers' chances against those tackles and the edge rushers. Then I got the Falcons. They are my Detroit team this year. I think they've done a lot to improve defensively. I think they've got a really good offensive line. Very, They, they have almost the exact same makeup, Paul, that the Lions did last year, except for the quarterback position. And we all know it's Desmond Ritter at quarterback this year starting. Would you rather have Desmond Ritter or Jared Goff? Ooh, ha! <laughs> That's a good question. No, knowing knowing what Desmond did in his college career and and the 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 comparison between Goff, I mean, everyone's gonna say Jared Goff, but I don't know. I think the leadership there with with Ritter and the development that he's had. And all the training camp reports saying that he's really taken the next step forward and the weapons that they have there. He doesn't need to be an all-time class leader in accuracy. When you've got Kyle Pitts, who's 6'5". When you've got Drake London, 6'4". You've got monsters that have giant wingspans. I don't know, man. I just... Yeah, um, I, I hear your argument. I think you're still taking Jared Goff, though. I think. I think you are. I think that's the play there. Um, I, but, again, we haven't seen it really enough out of Desmond Ritter yet. But I think I think the answer there still, Casey, is, is Jared Goff. Well, I mean, I hear what like you're I said, saying, though. Like I said, I, I knew that was going to be the answer for most people in the chat. But I really think by the end of this year, there's going to be a conversation. There's going to be a conversation. What about Geno Smith? I'd take Geno Smith, 100%. Now, not as a GM 
or I, I would take I would take Geno Smith for one year, but I wouldn't take him long term. All right. Do you have anything else here on the stink list? Uh, any news, notes, nuggets? Yeah. Other than other than those teams, like I don't think there's any real surprises. Honestly, the Colts, Anthony Richardson, I really like them. Um, the Browns stink. They're nauseating. Um, yeah. That's that's part of the shtick, though, right? It is. Yeah. Um, All right. Wow, we are at eleven thirty. Let's do uh, let's do some conference realignment talk. Let's do some conference realignment uh, talk. So I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a respite here, Casey, because I have some thoughts on on conference realignment and how much it is awful, how much it sucks, how terrible it is. This entire conference realignment garbage that we are going through right now with the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and the Big 12 and everything else. All this sport has become college football, the NCAA in general, but college football, because that's what runs college sports. It has become one big corporate love fest between all of these business people who are behind the scenes making deals on how these conferences are going to align right now. You know, whether it's Oregon joining the Big Ten, now that looks like it does, it isn't going to happen. Pac-12's commissioner trying to put a media rights deal together. That can't really happen until they figure out what schools are going to join which conferences. I think there is a pretty smart mind that in the end of this, UCLA and USC are going to look like the oddballs here. There is, a, there is a very good chance, and maybe I am extremely wrong on this. I could be way wrong on this. But I think there is a very good chance that five to six to seven years down the line, once UCLA and USC have joined the Big Ten, that they look like the ones that made the mistake here. Because, look, this entire sport has turned into an offseason instead of, you know, breaking down the rosters and instead of talking about the coaching moves or the transfer portal or anything else, all we have to do is listen to what schools are going to which conferences. You can't. It's like NBA contracts. You can't keep up with it anymore. It's brutal. It's terrible. It's killing us. It's too much to follow. It, 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 it's too fluid. Things change too quickly. I mean, last night we were going to bed. It looked like Oregon was going to join the Big Ten. Now all of a sudden we wake up and it looks like that's not going to happen. The Pac-12 can't get its act together with putting a media deal together. Every single thing about what is happening right now in college athletics as far as conference realignment goes is bad. It's all bad. I understand that everybody's just trying to make a dollar. Everybody is just trying to optimize their financial future. I get it. But there is a way to do it where it doesn't dominate every single headline every single time you turn around and just drive everybody to the point of uh, – it, it's hard to even put into words how frustrating it is to constantly see this over and over and over again of all these schools wanting to change conferences. You look at Colorado, everybody else just moving around to the point where there's only going to be two conferences. I mean, that's, that's what we're going to end up doing here if, if it all keeps going the way it needs to go. Because the Pac-12 – in its current form, is going to be dead. California doesn't want to invest a dollar into their athletic resources. As far, 
Cal, I mean. You look at some of these these schools in the Big Ten or in the Pac-12 that will be left after some of these schools leave and go to the Big Ten. What are we doing here? What is going on? What is the end goal? End goal is just to make more money. But nobody can figure out right now the right way to do it because there's so many moving pieces. This school gets rumored to go to this conference. Then the next school doesn't want to get left in the dust because the biggest part of this is the fact that these schools are always trying to be a step ahead of everybody else. That's the end goal here for each school is that they want to be one step ahead of everybody else. You're talking about UConn potentially going to the Big 12. I've been hearing about that for months. UConn to the Big 12. UConn to the Big 12. Personally, I would hate that as a big Big East basketball fan. I would hate UConn going to the Big 12. They're great for the conference. Right. But I'm going to say that in the end of this, you know, it's constantly rumored Notre Dame. Are they going to the Big 10? Obviously, they make sense being right there in the middle of smack dab in the middle of Big 10 country. Yeah. But... Are they going to come out looking like the smartest ones in the room here with their own media deal, playing independent football, whoever they want to play? In the end, after all the dust settles, are they going to come out being the ones that look the smartest? They might. There's a very realistic world where nobody wants to admit it because everybody hates that Notre Dame is not in a conference and everybody clamors for Notre Dame to play in the ACC or to play in the Big Ten or whatever it might be. But if they get their media deal with NBC, they've got it figured out. Why join a conference? Why do it? Yeah, I agree, Paul. I mean, I also really like Notre Dame this year. We'll get into that later. But, you know, one of the other teams that uh, is going to be hurt by this conference realignment, I well, I predict that they're going to get hurt from this, at least from the football perspective, is UC. Oh, yeah. Colorado joining the Big 12 when Deion Sanders is the head coach and you have the potential to get Deion Sanders. If he ends up doing what we think he could do, what a just big slap in the face. I mean, the conference realignment nonsense is is ridiculous in my opinion. I think it's... uh, I think it's bad for the kids especially for the big 10 kids i mean they're gonna have to i mean people might say that it's gonna be great to travel to to the west side but they don't actually get to enjoy that like they have to go practice they have to wake up early go practice and then and then go to, to the game probably i mean let's not act like that's uh a bargaining chip for them Look, we, we, we are at a, a, a critical juncture. I'm going to read a, a tweet thread um, from this morning. I'm not going to pull it up because it's all right. But I'm going to read a tweet thread here real quickly from uh, Rob Doster, who is the founder of the Field of 68, also runs a pretty prominent college football um, uh, college football network to the Field of 12. Um, but he put out a tweet thread. Now, obviously, Rob is a, a college basketball Reporter, So you can take that a little bit with a grain of salt as it relates to football because his priority is basketball. But here's his thread. 
Conference realignment is the most American thing I can think of. Whittling away at all of the quirky, unique things that make something special and popular so that every last dollar can be squeezed out of a homogenized, boardroom-approved product to keep a bunch of stiff corporate suits happy when revenue projections are shown. Who cares what happens to the Pac-12 or the Big East or the ACC? Why should they give a damn about the impact on college basketball or college baseball? We need to make sure that college football is the most profitable, watered-down junior varsity version of the NFL it can be. The worst part about it to me is that the people that the people making these decisions, sorry, is that the people making these decisions don't even seem to be fans of the sport. There are all these people whose identity, whose fandom, whose false schedule is centered around these teams, and those people have no say in it. I don't know when it actually happens, but the end game here is the biggest schools realizing the NCAA doesn't actually do anything and leaving it behind. Enjoy FDU upsetting Purdue while you can, because eventually college sports is going to leave Cinderella behind too. I think that is a fantastic thread. I think it couldn't be more spot on. I think college sports are at a very critical juncture right now because you have the transfer portal, which I think will settle down. I think, I think the transfer portal, because of what happened with the COVID and this extra eligibility and everything else, I think five to six years down the line, the transfer portal will settle into a groove. It's driving a lot of coaches out of the business. You, you can read article after article about coaches who are getting tired of coaching because they have to keep up with re-recruiting their own team because they don't want players to transfer. Not only do you have to recruit the high schoolers and the prospective student athletes, you also have to basically re-recruit your own team every year to make sure that they don't go and transfer somewhere else. You never get any time off right. because... It's not like before where you had very specific times to recruit. There are those times. There are those dead periods. But now all of a sudden you have to prioritize making sure that your team doesn't want to go and transfer elsewhere. There, we are at a, a, a very, very critical point in college sports, sports right now where I think Rob is spot on about these bigger schools leaving the NCAA in the dust and realizing they can go and do something on their own. And look, March Madness, for, for everything we talk about with college football and how college football makes the decisions and college football runs the, the NCAA as far as the decisions that are made and everything else, that's true. Every school who has football, makes their decisions based around what is best for their football program. But at the end of the day, what makes the most money for the NCAA is March Madness. It's the most profitable thing that the NCAA does. There are two profitable sports in the NCAA. It's baseball and it's, or it's basketball and it's football. NCAA baseball, college baseball, has surged in popularity in the last few years. Partly this year, due to adding the pitch clock, college baseball was phenomenal this year. I mean, consistently, you're seeing games go two hours, two hours and ten. Before this year, I could go do a college baseball game. I could go down to, to, to broadcast a game. 
and I'm penciling in three colon whatever those next two numbers are for a three-hour game no matter what. Now it's if it's past 220, you're like, man, that game kind of dragged. College baseball is, has had a resurgence. People love college baseball now. College basketball, I understand it will never drive the ship in college athletics. That will always be college football. But with all of this realignment talk and everybody just chasing the dollar, everybody just trying to figure out what's best for them, and you have to prioritize yourself. If you're a school, you don't want to be left in the dust, right? You don't want to be left behind. You don't want to be the last school at the table when everybody else has a date at the dance. You don't want to be left at dinner. So from that perspective, I get it. But on the flip side of the coin, you can't be a school at the end of the day. You can't be a, a, a corporation, which is basically what the NCAA is, that is putting together this product that is now going to be so watered down because of all of this talk of realignment and everything else that gets so frustrating where you have to go back and you, you need to reprioritize. And I don't know who makes that kind of a decision because the NCAA, it has all its pull over college basketball, but ESPN runs the college football playoff. The media rights run the college football playoff. So at the end of the day, where's the priority? What are the priorities? What can you go and figure out to make this better instead of worrying about why USC and UCLA need to fly to Rutgers? A lot of people a lot smarter than me are going to have to make those decisions, but those decisions need to be made very, very soon. And we can't be having all of these schools in flux trying to figure out what's best for them every three years due to conference realignment. Casey, your thoughts? No, I, I agree, Paul. Um, I think I think what the issue is, you know, it, it's a money issue. It's a uh, length of the contract, maybe, you know? Yeah. Um, that's tough, man. I just don't... I don't know what a good answer is. I don't think anyone really has a great answer, but the point for me, I, my hope for the conference realignment is to have better, better quality of games, right? Yeah. That that's what I hope for for the most. I don't know if that's their priority. I don't. I don't think that's truly what their priority is, and I think that's where you clearly see the, the priority the is money, Casey. Yeah. It's always money. It's always been money. And I I don't think that's ever going to change, unfortunately. I think all those schools are going to care about money and not the product. All right. Anything else, Casey? What else do we got? We got about uh, 10 minutes left. Do you have anything that you have to get off your chest? I, 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 we do have a couple of things here. I don't know if either one of these are the cherry on top or either one of these the cherry on top. Or do you want to just uh, talk about them now? You want to do this now? Yeah, let's talk about that real quick. Just really quickly. They stink. These what is this? These, these sideline hats, they stink to the high heaven. They're horrible. Last year was so good. And then they put this out. I can't believe this is the sideline hat for the 2023 season. It's horrible. 
All the hats look like that. The team on the left with the giant NFL logo on the right. I don't know who approved of that. They stink. They need to get it fixed. Your thoughts, Paul? <laughs> I mean, it's terrible. Yeah, it's I, terrible. I, I don't know. I don't really have many other thoughts than that. It is a truly horrific hat. Yeah, and not to mention, um, like I said before, they had done so well like the last couple years. Like I wanted 2021 sideline hat, I wanted 2022 sideline hat, and then they put this out, and that's just horrendous. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about was the college football playoff because I know a lot of people wanted to know who my teams were. Um, and I don't want to disappoint anyone on that. Um, so I'm going to give off my my teams, and I'm going to kind of give an asterisk here because – I think uh, I think Georgia's number one. I don't think with their their current schedule that they're gonna stub their toe anytime soon. It's gonna go all the way until the SEC championship, and at, by that point we'll know for sure if they're still gonna be number one. But I don't have a whole lot of faith in Alabama. They don't really have a starting quarterback just yet, and you know LSU Brian Kelly. I don't know about that one. Um, I got Georgia number one. And then, of course, number two, I have two different scenarios here. It's either Michigan or it's OSU, right? And my lean, my lean, if I'm going to give a team, I think it's going to be, I unfortunately have to put Michigan there. I don't think Michigan and OSU make it both again. I don't think that happens this year. And that's mainly because one the path for osu is a bit more difficult than michigan and that's the only reason why i have michigan at two and osu at two is because if osu makes a clean sweep they only stub their toe maybe one time probably not stub their toe one time i mean they, they just gotta make a clean sweep here go undefeated then uh i think i think they're number two but if they stub their toe i think michigan they they sweep their their schedule and you know we're we're sitting here you know with only one Big Ten team number three and I'm gonna give my scenario as to why I think these teams are in there I have Notre Dame or USC at number three and I know those are two yeah, really USC. two random teams to have at number three but Notre Dame's schedule allows them to have that opportunity and I think they have the talent to do two things. They can upset OSU or USC and lose to Clemson or lose Ohio State and beat Clemson and USC and be in the, at least the top five conversation. If they manage to beat all three teams, I think they're shooing in the playoff. And I think they've got the quarterback to do it. He's my also my dark horse Heisman candidate. I've got another one, too, that I'll talk about shortly. But... That's why I got Notre Dame and USC there. USC also plays Notre Dame. And I think that they win the Pac-12, right? I think they just win it outright. Caleb Williams is a stud. And another year with Lincoln Riley. And if they make a clean sweep, if they beat Notre Dame, I think they're number three. And then at number four, I got Texas. And every year we say Texas is going to be they're gonna They're back. They're here. Um, I think they showed a lot last year with Quinn Ewers, and I think their defense is really good. 
I think it's underrated. Um, I know they lost Bijan, but the rest of the roster is returning for the most part. And I don't know, man. They showed a lot against Alabama without Quinn Ewers. And I think that just really hurt their morale towards towards the end of their season. They kept stubbing their toe because they just didn't have the leadership there. I'm going with Texas as my dark horse team in, the, in, my, in my college football playoff. And to recap what my, my, my thoughts are, right? If OSU loses to Michigan this year, I don't think they're in the top four. I think they, I think they slide to five. If they beat Michigan, they're at number two. Michigan, they're either two or they're not. They're not in the college football playoff. <laughs> what happens if Ohio State loses to Michigan this year? Oh, uh, if they lose again, <laughs> I, I, I'd have to call Sir Boy. I have to make sure that he's doing all right. Wellness check. A wellness check. That would be a really bad time for him. Um, I'm going to quickly talk about the Dark Horse Heisman's real quick. And we'll wrap up this show with a cherry on top. All right. Um, Caleb Williams is like the regarded as the number one Heisman candidate. Um, He won it last year and he did really, really well last year. I think he had like 50 total touchdowns, 4,500 total yards. Um, Dude was a stud. He's regarded as one of the best prospects right now in college football compared to Andrew Luck, Joe Burrow. And he's also a Lincoln Riley product. So you know that he's going to do it again. Most of Lincoln Riley's guys, they manage to repeat. They do it again. So then we got Drake May. And all you got to do is look up some highlights of the dude. And he just throws some crazy balls, man. I mean, he'll be in the middle of getting hit, going backwards, and throw this way across his body and make a throw. And it's that's incredible. I've never seen that. But I don't trust North Carolina quarterbacks to save my life. I mean, they do well in college football, but they don't they don't necessarily play a tough schedule. Those are basically the two. And it's not even close, right? Those are the two guys that everyone's going to say that are probably going to win the Heisman. But I have two dark horse candidates, and I think people are going to see a, a, a trend for me that I really like Notre Dame. I really like Sam Hartman, the quarterback transfer from Wake Forest. He's he's a senior, 24 years old, super senior, and he was the second or I'm sorry, he was the number 1 quarterback in terms of wins above replacement the last 2 years for Wake Forest. He mattered so much to that team. And he broke so many records. He had 13,000 yards, 110 touchdowns, setting an ACC record. And he brings stability to Notre Dame that they just didn't have last year. I thought they had a lot of the pieces there. They had plenty of weapons. They had a really good defense. But the quarterback position struggled. And I think with his level of production that he's shown to be capable of doing, if you asked him to... do roughly a little bit better than what he's done previously, right? That would put him at roughly 4,500 yards, Caleb Williams' numbers, and that would put him roughly around like 42 total touchdowns, 
I'm giving him an extra touchdown or two. 45. And to think about what it would take for Notre Dame to be able to accomplish that means that they have to win games against OSU, against Clemson, against USC. If he's capable of doing that, then I think that that gives him a, a, a reasonable expectation, if he's able to do it, that he can win the Heisman. Now, that's a lot. That's a stretch to ask him to do that. But out of all the other dark horse candidates, like Bo Nix, eh, ain't doing that. The Florida State quarterback. You're, eh. a, big, you're a big Bo Nix guy. No, no. <laughs> Hate Bo Nix. <laughs> he, he cost me a lot of money. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I just think the schedule allows him to be able to do it, right? And then we get to my other dark horse, which I know people are going to love this one. But I think it's the truth, man. Marvin Harrison Jr., man. He is uh, the best prospect in all college football. Might be the best prospect in the last five years. Um, he's an alien. He would be a top 10 receiver in the NFL right now today, just based off his measurables alone and what he's done previously. And he could potentially carry the OSU offense the entire way. And if he were to do that, he could win Heisman. I don't know what the stats would need to be for him to do it, but Devontae Smith just did it not too long ago. It's not completely out of the question. It's very rare that anything other than a quarterback gets it. But if he has an all-time type career with OSU, which I think he's capable of doing, I don't see why he can't be a dark horse Heisman product. Your thoughts, Paul? Uh, I'm going to guess that this chat has no interest in hearing my thoughts on uh, what I think about the Ohio State Buckeyes. So I'm just going to kick it back to you. <laughs> Good, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I do have a cherry on top. But, Casey, before we get to that, do you have anything else you want to say? Um, You know, I just wanted to thank everyone that joined us today. I know that uh, – it's not a normal show. I know that um, it was probably a lot of dragging. We didn't have very many guests. Brother, you um, did a great job. And by not very many guests, you mean we had zero guests. We had zero guests. Um, I wanted to give Paul a break so he wasn't having <laughs> to sit up here for two hours with no guests. By him, well, not by himself. I'd be here. But I wanted to, to try to give him a break because we have a couple more days where it's just – the two of us and um we'll have so, a lot more to talk about monday we'll have the whole weekend to cover the reds and um you know we'll, we'll have friday's training camp day to talk about for the Bengals. um i appreciate everyone that's in here um this was the first time for me to do a full show by myself so thank you um i appreciate everyone that comes every day and uh chats um we appreciate you i appreciate the most though um the guys here in the studio um it's a pleasure to work with them every single day um i want to thank paul 
He is my literally right hand man <laughs> during this whole uh, this whole show. We've been doing this for almost a, a whole year. That's crazy, dude. We're coming up on a one year birthday. It's I crazy. know. I I don't know what we're gonna do yet for it, but we got to do something for it. Um, I appreciate Reed. He's always um, got our backs when we need it. He's always there to uh, to 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 um, provide some mentorship mentorship. Um, Elliot, the laughs, he's a great personality here in this office. Um, Sean and Trace, our boss, we can't thank them enough for the opportunities that they've given us to be able to sit up here and talk sports daily, a dream job. Um, and you know, I, uh, I'm just very thankful. I'm just very thankful for everyone here in the chat today. Um, you know what we didn't do? <laughs> I just... I had the perfect opportunity to do it too. What? We, we didn't do the chat power rankings. Your uh, Susan McAllister is number one. That's the only ranking. That's true. My mom. Susan number McAllister. One. Oh, and by the way, happy anniversary to my mother and father. Let's go. Lure up. Susan. Congratulations. 33, 33 years wow. of marriage. Whoa. Good for them. Very good for them. Good for them. Good for you too. Uh, okay. We do have a cherry on top. First of all, Casey, you did a fantastic job today. Um, I know this was something you really wanted to do. You, you worked the last three days. You worked really hard on putting this show together. We never ran out of topics. It is 12 o'clock. We're going to go overtime. We were wondering if we'd go under time. We're going overtime. Uh, so you did a fantastic job today, Casey. Uh, thanks to everybody in the chat for sticking around with us. But we do have a cherry on top. And this is one of the coolest things that I can remember seeing on social media. Uh, Power of good on social media. This is awesome. So I'm going to kick it to this. What do you got there? I see why you guys always struggle to see what's on the screen up here. The world's most remote country, Bhutan, is experiencing a baseball boom. What started as a handful of kids playing on a concrete slab has grown to more than 6,000 children who are becoming dedicated baseball fans. It's the fastest growing sport in the country right now, says the executive advisor of Bhutan Baseball and Softball Association. And below, the picture you see right here is a photo of baseball being played in front of the Great Buddha statue. I don't know how to pronounce that second word there. Look at this picture. This is one of <laughs> the coolest pictures ever taken. I mean, sports pictures. This is one of the coolest sports pictures I have ever seen. That is pretty cool. I mean, that's a monk hitting a baseball man i mean what, what more is there to, to I mean, say that's that's like chat gpt or whatever spitting out some random image that you just typed in there and that's actual that's real that's real that's uh that's really cool that is it's phenomenal it's cool it's what you love to see you know baseball people have talked about the health of baseball and and uh you know you see the attendance numbers this year going up See the viewership going up despite the blackout rules and everything else. Baseball is growing. It's in a great spot right now. They're starting to figure out how to market their stars. And then you see something like this. This is fantastic. This is great. Um, and it's just such an unbelievable picture. So I uh, just wanted to leave the people with that for the weekend. Uh, thank you to each and every one of you for watching this week. Again, 
Um, so I'll be back up there at the desk on Monday. Well, Casey, I don't want to. I don't want to assume. I figured I'd be back up there on Monday. We'll we'll talk about it. Okay. Uh, Monday we will have we'll we'll get guests back in on Monday. Uh, recap the whole weekend, everything else. Then Tuesday, Elliot will be back. Then Wednesday, the prodigal son returns. Tom will be back at the desk on Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday morning, he'll be back. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but then he's. Then he's gone again the next week. Uh, I don't know how long he's gone the next week, but he's back Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then he's gone the next week. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to work through some of that. But uh, thank you to each and every one of you for sticking around. Thank you to all of our sponsors, Encore, UDF, Betfred, Pony, um, everybody. Thank you to, to our sponsors. Casey, take us out. Again, thank you everyone in the chat um, for watching. It was a good show, I think. Um, take it easy. Um, don't get too upset with the Reds. I'm sure everything will be just fine. Okay. It'll be all right. Enjoy your weekend. We'll see you Monday.